0: blood talk radio And John St. Germain, back after a three-week hiatus, and we welcome you to episode number 184, I believe, of the Crystal Silence League, one of the five retrogrades down, four to go. I believe uh, Saturn goes direct September 29th, and uh, I believe that... Um, Neptune goes direct in November, and I believe that Pluto goes direct in uh, October, and et cetera, et cetera. So we're knocking them down one by one. Man, is it a hot summer. It is so hot here. Um, It was 104 degrees here in Knoxville. And you know what that's like in Knoxville? You know, Tennessee is a river valley. We are in the middle of a valley. We're surrounded by the Appalachian Mountains. uh, And when it's 104 in a river valley, every day is like you take your clothes off, dip them in near boiling water, and then put them back on. Your clothes get heavy, and if you wear jeans, your jeans get so heavy. If you're like me, I'm a southern male, which means I have no – no other way to put it. I have no ass. And so you put stuff in your pockets like your car keys, your wallet, your cell phone, and your pants get heavy, and you can't keep them up they they slide down from sheer weight. And when you take your pants off at night, they've absorbed so much of the ambient humidity. You realize you've been carrying these uh, 50 pound blue jeans around all day and your back hurts and your legs hurt and your feet hurt and your entire body aches. You know, why, why am I so sore? It's because you're wearing basically like a suit of armor, like a suit of chain mail, 75 pounds of clothes just in the humidity. And, uh, Something has been happening with our environment. Uh, When we go out in the sun, it's not like normal heat. It's as if you're being seared under a heat lamp or with radiation. The sun hits your skin, and it burns. It's not like normal sunburn. It's like radiation. Um, I was talking to my son about this today. You can't stand it, and I'm a dark-complected man heat doesn't bother me, and never in my life have I been bothered by sun like this before. It's as if, have you ever uh, been in a restaurant and they put food under a heat lamp and you reach under it to get, and it's as if you're being baked in an oven? Um, That's what it feels like when you go out in this, and you still have people denying that there's global climate change. You go, oh no, no, it never happened, it never happens, it's just, no, it never happens, when I was a kid, I used to scoff that the Jor-El, you know, Superman's father, was telling everyone Krypton was about to explode, and he'd show them his evidence. Ah, oh, no, Jor-El, you're crazy. And I said, how could anyone deny that? But we're living in times just like that now. There's polar bears swimming for days and weeks looking for a, a piece of ice to float on because the polar ice cap is about as big as a, uh, a supermarket. Ah, <clears throat> oh, no, now that happens, and some idiot. And you always see this. So, well, the dinosaurs went, were extinct because of uh, climate change. Well, the dinosaurs were extinct because apparently a giant asteroid about the size of Australia hit the Earth. But even then, before then, the dinosaurs were around for millions of years longer than humanity has been on Earth before they went extinct. So do we really want to compare man's stint upon the Earth with the dinosaurs? Uh uh, no, I, I really don't think I'd like to be around at least as long as the dinosaurs before we get seared off the planet. Uh, you know, before I go out and burst into flames, you know, like bacon on a grill. Um, it's it's so crazy. It's just so crazy. And now they're finding plastic in the rain. When it rains, they find pieces of plastic in the very rain, which you know we assume you know rain comes from the ocean, right? The oceans evaporate go up in the sky, turn into clouds, and turn into rain. So these micro particles, plastic, evaporate from the ocean and come down from the sky. And people said, well, back when paper and glass was around, the environmentalists were saying that was destroying the planet, so we should go to plastic. I've been around for 60 years, and I don't remember that. Plastic was pushed upon us by the Petroleum industry, you know, plastic made from petroleum, your mattresses, styrofoam, all of that—it's a petroleum product. And uh, that was—it was a more economical, yes. Um, paper bags and stuff. Say, oh, save a tree, you know, save a tree, save a tree. Well, there are other ways to save a tree than uh, than destroying the ocean. Um, there, there really are. So um, that's my rant for tonight. I've been away a while and uh speaking of the earth why don't we talk about our crystal which is axonite have you ever heard of axonite it's called that because it's uh, found in little slabs that look like uh, an axe blade it fractures along its uh axis its crystalline axis and um, i'm told it's rare but i've seen it most crystal places will have it and uh, this is a uh, uh, a purplish-brown stone. It's uh, a very pretty stone, uh, a brownish stone. And it it's one of those that uh, harmonizes to one of the uh, invisible chakras. So a lot of people, uh, it's controversial whether or not these chakras actually exist. It's the earth star chakra, the one that's beneath your feet and connects us to the earth. And there's the other one above your head called the soul star chakra. And usually we use a clear crystal or a white crystal sometimes for that one, and um, that connects you to the uh, the spirit of the universe. And, um, but the earth star chakra is very good for grounding yourself to the earth itself. If so you feel like you're floating away, uh, you, you'll use a dark brown or sometimes even a black stone to ground yourself to the earth, and um, uh, sometimes when people are using the higher vibration stones like kyanite, they feel like they are floating away. They'll get kind of a spacey effect for days afterward. Or you get uh, a thing called meditation on we, where you meditate a lot and you feel like you're disconnected from the solid world. Uh, these are good stones to have to help ground yourself, plant your feet firmly in the earth. And uh, there's a type of training I do with people, anyway, who have uh, problems with assertiveness, with uh, staying grounded, with staying focused on the practical aspect of life where they do drive themselves, drive roots into the earth. And this is a very, Axonite's very good to use to carry around or to work with for the of training. And um, uh, presumably this is very good uh, crystal to work with if you're trying to access the Akashic records, past life memories, um, and things like this. Um, but for uh, the purposes I use it for mostly, if you're feeling run down and drained, and people have demanded too much of you. Life has demanded too much for you. And you have that spread too thin feeling. You have trouble collecting yourself. This is a very good stone to gather your energies back, uh, to regain your fortitude, your strength of conviction, your focus. Um, and it's very good. Um, good for endurance. If you're doing the things that need to be done, as they used to say, but that's axonite. Um, You know, when you make your infusion of it, put it in a uh, glass container and uh, put that in your uh, your water to infuse it. uh, Infuse it via sunlight or moonlight. Uh, As I said, what I like to do is find a bottle with a depression in the bottom of foot, like a wine bottle, and I'll put the stone on a plate and put the bottle over the stone and then fill it with my water and let it uh, gain its harmonic infusion and then add a few drops of brandy. Then I'll take a few drops of brandy internally, uh, usually in a snifter, a warm snifter. And um, for my personal benefit, uh, the idea of a few drops of brandy in your infusion is so that it doesn't grow mold or algae. And uh, uh, then you, you know, you cork the bottle, and you can use your infusion uh, to anoint your chakras. You can use it as a tonic that you drink daily. You can use it in your magic. You can use it in your, on your grids. You uh, grid your lines with it. Put you know, put some on your finger, um, rub it down your lines, you can sprinkle it in your environment, uh, a number of things with it. You can it literally for, uh, in the literature you can use for fusions in a So that is our um, crystal of the week. We are the Crystal Silence League, which was founded in nineteen seventeen by mister Claude Alexander Conlin for the purpose of uh, projecting via the crystal ball, positive affirmation and prayer using the four branches of crystallomancy, which you can learn about in past episodes of the show. And quite probably when we're through with the current series we'll start all over and start teaching those techniques again and again and again and again because I have eternity, you know, of to fill with these episodes. And, you know, it occurs to me that even if you go back listen from show one shows how long is your memory <laughs> probably longer than mine and we'll just go back and cover material from a fresh point of view so you know what the heck and uh, when Mr. Conlon passed away in uh, 1954 the league went with him until about 1917 no uh, nineteen or, uh, 2007 I think when, uh, what, 1917? It was uh, 2007 or so when adepts from uh, Missionary Independent Spiritual Church, which is the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches, resurrected it from some ambulance via the web. And now you can find us at www.crystalsilenceleague.org And on that website, you will find uh, a prayer page, and uh, oh my goodness, I better make sure I have them up here. Um, yeah, I do, sure. And um, people post prayers a week, not always, sometimes a hundred, sometimes as many as 200. And there's always free at the Crystal Silence League. We do have a gift shop, though, if you do want to spend money there. And we have books. Uh, some of those books are by me. I have a book called Crystal Magic, which is. Spell casting and uh, uh, divination and meditations with crystals, and a book called Lithomancy, which is uh, almost entirely uh, methods of divination with crystals and stones and coins and just about anything that you can cast. Um, if, you, if, you, if you like runes, there's a good chapter on runes. Um, and we have a book that came out recently and was debuted at the 2019 Heritage Festival this year. So, Crystal Silence League which is a compendium of writings of our founder Claude Alexander Conlin on techniques which is a crystal gazing you should uh, definitely get that and you get it free by $12 worth of crystals and crystal balls so hey so if you'd like to if you go to the uh, prayer page at www.crystalsilenceleague.org Join me in prayer, and even do so with the um, use, the uh, assistance of crystals. So here we go. I'm going to start with prayer ID number eight five eight one two. Who prays? Please pray for C, my boyfriend, who's always depressed and an alcoholic. He thinks about harming himself and really needs love and prayers to get him beyond these thoughts. It may he well and may pass Amen. And we have prayer ID 85811 who says, please pray with me to win the bingo blackout 5K or more so I can catch up on my bills in Jesus' name. Amen. He wants the uh, bingo blackout scratch-off, I guess. Prayer ID 85810 who prays Protection of mind, body, spirit, soul and heart from this heartless woman and her husband and others that she's using to do her horrible bidding, gaslighting, mind games, control, manipulation, and other psychic warfare that A gain control over her, and other abusers which are psychopaths. and he can clearly see visions of who his abusers are, and that I, K, K, B have always been truthful. Amen. And prayer ID 5809. Me and my husband are separated due to his internal challenges of finding it hard to love trust. I want to be by his side as he works through his issues and we get to be a solid family. I love my husband and I want us to be a happy family. Amen. And prayer ID 85808. pastors and all the CSL congregation once again thanks when the Lord blessed me with a financial blessing I'll share the blessings of those who've helped me along the way JJ had to call me the person he hurt the most now that he is stricken with a loss the way I had been but they talked about me CW will feel this pain of shame as well trust me I let God fight my battles amen and prayer ID 8507 Lord, please heal R.M. we for getting the kidney transplant. Listen, receive the kidney speedily. Give the surgeon the knowledge to get rid of the infection in her arm. Help the doctors to find a good access for her dialysis. This family is almost extinct. Her grandson already lost his mother. Please don't take his granny too. Please show RF favor and grant this prayer. Amen. Prayer ID 85608. Please let somebody come to my rescue and fix my air system in my home. C.F. took my money $1,500 and never returned to fix him, Jesus. C. is trying to bring shame and disheartening to me and my coworkers. Reverse back to her in shame. They want her out. The top elites run her away in shame. Remove the devil from this job. Whomever they are, remove them in shame. Reverse the evil back to them. Give me my Sunday and Monday off. Block LT mouth off me. Run them away. Return GE now. Amen. And prayer ID 8505. Praying for my stepdaughter's sisters because different others are still in the neglected home. With temporary custody of our daughter, praying for the maternal grandmother to win custody of the rest of the sisters. K11A9C5E3. Court is Friday, the 23rd. Amen. Prayer ID. Well, that's the same person, sorry. Prayer ID 5803. Please, in good spirits, those wrongfully detained in and elsewhere also love to families, and also C, M, J, and J. Thank you, Saints Anthony, St. Saint Jude, and St. Michael. Amen. Prayer ID 85802. I ask that I receive more than enough prosperity to pay our bills, live in a very comfortable manner, and have enough savings to move us into a beautiful, safe, healthy, and happy home. I ask that we are our car and all of our belongings are protected and safe at all times. May everyone who reads this prayer request be blessed abundantly. I am grateful. Let's do one more. Prayer ID 85800. Heavenly Father, lift LH up to you for healing. I pray for strength and wisdom for him and to take pain and anger from his heart. Father God, help me to let go of worry and give it completely up to you. Lord, give me words to say, and let your Holy Spirit guide each move I make. Father, I trust you and am so thankful that you are a God of love and healing. Please come into our relationship and our lives and make us strong, bring us together as one in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just take a few moments of silent prayer for all those in need of comfort and healing and affirmation. Amen. Oh, this world, this world, may it be healed. Well, for those of you who remember where we left off, we just the hangman, and that card does not necessarily represent uh, suffering, but a a, a type of initiation, a type of uh, a voluntary pause in our day-to-day existence to to stop and learn a a hiatus, a, a realization that childhood has to end, that we have to enter a phase of our life of maturation. And that sometimes requires that we just stop. We don't go ahead. We don't go back. <clears throat> we pause. And that there is a certain amount of discomfort for this, but that discomfort becomes a joyous sort of process if we understand that nothing worthwhile is easy. The growth requires sometimes discomfort with pains. And so this is like we're on Trump 13, and uh, everybody knows what that is, right? death. And it's very interesting to me when people try to sugarcoat death. And there is a widespread misunderstanding. And this is not my opinion. These are the very people who designed these cards. And I'm talking, we're talking about the, uh, the Ryder, waite coleman deck. that death stands for the process of transformation. This is a misunderstanding. And I understand that, yes, there is a, um, trad- a modern tradition that a card can mean whatever you want it to be. It speaks to you. The card speaks to you. And you can, uh, it can mean whatever you want to be. Well, yes, if you fall into a school of divination where you just make things up, that's true. If you fall into an older school where there are Traditions and meanings um, um, to these cards that you learn first before you begin to improvise. In other words, if there's a discipline, um, in other words, that you know what you're doing before you improvise, then no, you don't make things up. Um, this is why I don't engage in uh, Internet discussions about it because I just want to pull out hair. I don't, I don't have any hair. That's why I'm bald. You ever notice I'm bald? That's because I pull my hair out because unfortunately sometimes I do read internet discussions. Um, but you know, I'm an old man, you know, keep off my lawn, that kind of thing. I worked very, very hard to learn my craft. And, uh, when someone comes along and says, yeah, I bought a book, read the little white book and now, Hey, I'm doing readings, you know, uh, call me up and pay me money and I'll just tell you some stuff I made up. It, yeah, it bothers me. It bothers me. I don't, I shouldn't really care what other people are doing, but uh, I sort of, I sort of do because, okay, I used to be an engineer for a living and I worked for uh, contractors of the Oak Ridge National Laboratory, which is the Department of Defense. And we had to really know what we were doing. If we did not know what we were doing, people could die. Some of the projects we worked on, if we just decided, well, I'm just going to make this up, I'm going to make these figures up, people could die. And some of the stuff we did had a tolerance level of like a hundred thousandths of an inch. And if we went if we just decided, well, I'm t- I'm tired today, I'm just going to fake this, uh, lives could be lost. So I always brought that discipline to everything I did because I wanted to do it right. Now, this is not a straitjacket jacket for me. It's not a a, a box I nail myself in um, by any means, but I, I did want to learn to do these things correctly, and that's the sort of mentality I bring to everything I do. So we're looking at death. We see a dark rider on a pale horse carrying a flag. And everybody nails at his feet. Well, kneels at his feet. This is our rider weight deck. So, when we're looking at Arthur Waite's design, we do see that it does depart from standard tarot imagery. The picture... On the uh, rider weight deck, um, um, it does differ from other images, even from the Golden Dawn Tarot, which came out around the same time. Um, but the Golden Dawn Tarot seems to be derived from the earlier uh, Tarot of Marseille, the Tarot of um, which shows death going down the field with people... Uh, we, it's hard to tell. Are they buried up to their necks? But there's severed heads on the ground. Death has lopped off the heads. Um, but what we see is that death strikes everyone. We have kings, commoners, the young, and the old. Death, death is the most democratic of forces. Young, old, alike. And um, so this this basic democratic nature of death was uh, a very popular. Theme uh, in uh, uh, moral tales, fairy tales, myths, and legends. Uh, there's an old Italian saying at the end of the chess game, the king, the queen, and the pawn all go back into the same box. This goes back to burial practices there's an old uh, Jewish custom of burying everybody the same way Uh, tribal chieftains kings, rulers uh, the poorest people were all buried in a plain uh, pine box death levels everyone, the rich and the poor alike no amount of money or wealth will buy you out of death so It's not surprising that most of our art, philosophy, literature, science deal with this whole idea of death. It's always eternal. It's always present. It looms over our shoulders. A lot of our activities are designed to distract us from that possibility that we could die at any time. I could die right now while I'm talking to you. Um, The... Death and resurrection, popular theme. Uh, many philosophies say that we re- we die and are reborn all the time. Scientists tells us that we're constantly uh, renewing our very matter. That our molecules, uh, atoms, cells die and are reborn. And um, you know the the paradox of Theseus's ship. Um, the Theseus ship paradox. Do you know that? Um, the idea of Theseus's ship is that uh, here's a ship um, um, belonging to Theseus and uh, eventually the uh, uh, the hull rots out, so they replace it. And uh, eventually the deck rots out, so they replace it. Um, And eventually the uh, fills, so they replace it. And um, um, I'm not telling this very well, am I? Um, well, Theseus was a great hero in Greek mythology, so he comes back after all these adventures, and uh, so the ship in the harbor as a monument to war, right? So as the years go by, because it's made out of wood, it rots away. So Uh, As the parts rot away, like the hole rots away, they replace it. The deck rots away, and they replace it. So after about a century or so, all of the parts have been replaced. The question is, is the restored ship of Theseus the same object as the original? This is part of the metaphysics of identity. So each of the removed pieces, the rotted pieces, were stored in a warehouse. And let's say that after a couple of centuries or so, um some scientists like Archimedes will say Archimedes said, by God, I have a way that I can reverse this rotting procedure and um we can put back the original ship. So is the reconstructed ship the original ship? And so is the reconstructed ship the Theseus ship and is the restored ship any less of Theseus's ship than the reconstructed ship or more so. So these are, this is uh, the uh, paradox or the uh, thought problem of the ship about identity. So the theory states basically that um, there's no identity over time. Th- that this is one solution is that identity does not exist over time. Uh And that theory says that two ships, while identical in all of the ways, are not identical if they exist at two different times, right so each ship at a time is a unique event, so even without replacement of parts, the ships in the harbor are different at each time so um this theory is one extreme; it denies the everyday concept of identity, which is what we assume all the time, right that when we're born. We're a person. When we die, we're the same person, and in between, we're still the same person. So, is there such a thing as a quantum that is ship of Theseus that exists in spite of the parts being placed? In other words, a soul, which means that let's say you and I live to be. 200 years old, and during that 200 years, they replace all of our parts with cloned parts. Are we still the same person? This is exactly the same kind of thing. Um, so, in the real world, let's say there's the River Nile. We have the River Nile, but what is the River Nile? Because the water that goes through it is different from minute to minute. So, is the River Nile the water that goes through it? a geographical location, or just an idea in our mind. So we see that death very much to do with identity. And so when we look at the death card in the tarot deck, there is a concept of transformation. Sometimes death means death. Sometimes, I mean, you look at this card, I mean, come on, that's death. There are people laying on the ground dying, dead. The original card had death cutting people's heads off or severing the heads of people who are buried up to the neck and couldn't escape this card means death sometimes it means death but it's got to be in context and you got to really know what you're doing you have to be really connected to something to be able to predict death but sometimes I mean that's death I mean you know that that warning flag I mean come on this is this is the uh, biblical pale horseman out of the book of Revelation. This is the pale rider. This is the archetypal angel of death. So let's not mention here, but in the transformative sense, this is not the process of transformation at all. According to the designer of the cards, now uh, again, uh, you'll have people tell you all kinds of things about it from their personal experience, but According to the designers of this particular card, this is the precise moment, which cannot be measured in time. You cannot say second, nanosecond, etc., but the precise moment of transformation. Because death itself cannot be defined. When is the moment of death? When does a living being become a dead? Like, you know I guess if you're blown to pieces, you can say, okay, the moment of this corporation, the moment your body is you know turned into atoms, but even then really, maybe is there not a consciousness I, I don't know, but when is the moment of death you can't you cannot define it the doctor can call time of death you know two o five a m but really when 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 the heart stops, no, when the brain ceases activity no I don't know, no, because if you followed our discussion of um, near-death activity, there were people whose brain activity was zero, zero, and they came back and described uh, consciousness of events that occurred after brain activity was zero. We cannot define a moment of death. We cannot define a moment of death, but we can define a moment of transformation. And that's what this card says. There was an old new view, a, a, a change of consciousness a change of consciousness when there was an old you and a new you there's a aha moment when something slaps you and says wake up wake up and that's what this card means and we're not talking about you know like oh well um yeah i, I realize that i'm not happy at my job so i'm going to get a new job we're not talking about lazy type of consciousness. we're talking about death we're talking about a death so um And with this comes terror. There's a terror. And um, so death is necessary in this world. We fear it. We fear death. We avoid it. And there are people tell me, well, I don't really fear death. There's a verse in uh, the the Dhammapada, um, um, and I'm going to – or I would read that to you. Uh, I sent it to the printer, and it didn't print. I'm having some weird computer issues. Let me see if I can read it to you. Um, That the Buddha uh, gave us in the Dhammapada, which is a great book, and you should have that. All beings tremble before violence. All fear death, all love life. Seeing yourself in others, then whom can you hurt? What harm can you do? And it says, "Death overpowers the man who is gathering the flowers of sense even before he is satiated in his pleasure." And I've told this to people. I say, "You know, one of the very essences of suffering. You know, Buddha defined the Buddhist definition of suffering is birth, aging, sickness, and death." And you know, the people say, "You know, no, no. You know, death. Death doesn't cause me suffering. I'm not afraid of death." And there are people who tell me this, and I don't think they are fully mature. I don't think that they understand, and they don't realize what death means. And uh, uh, you know, these are these are nihilists, right? These are atheists and nihilists. And uh, you know, I say, well, what you know, your, your own non-existence. I don't think you can. Con- yeah, I can. I can contemplate my own non-existence. I can understand my own non-existence. And I truly don't think they can. I think it's like going to sleep or something. But I don't believe that they can actually visualize a time when they're not here. I don't really think so. And uh, so, um, even if you chase an insect with your foot or a swatter, this insect runs, it flees, because it loves life. And... Buddha has many variations of this. All men tremble at the rod. All men fear death. Putting yourself in the place of another, one should neither slay nor cause to slay. He who seeks his own happiness uses on others the rod of punishment because they seek their own happiness will not find happiness after death. Lo, you are now like a withered leaf. The messengers of Yama, which is the Lord of Death, are fast approaching you. You stand on the threshold of departure, and yet you have made no provision for the journey. Your life is now drawn to a close. You're approaching the king of death. There's no rest house on the way, and yet you have made no provision for the journey. So uh, he talked about this a lot, and uh, he he chastised a young prince. as came and talked to him and said, hey. I'm out here having a great time. I'm drinking, whoring, chasing, uh, pleasure, all right and left. Why should I – tell me why I should uh, give all this up and live the spiritual life. I can do that later. And Buddha leaned in and said, young man, that's your problem. You think you have time. And so when I see the death card, this is what I think about the transformation between the child who thinks he's going to live forever and the adult who realizes i don't have time i don't have time i can't start that diet tomorrow i can't wait tomorrow to uh make up for the things i've done i can't start my spiritual growth next week i don't have time that sense that no i don't have time the awareness of death true maturity comes, true spiritual maturity comes when you become aware of your own death. That's what I see in this card. It is about death. It is about, it really is about death. Transformation begins when you become aware, I don't have time because death is ever your companion. Um, there's a uh, a story, it was not well known when I first started reading for other people back in the uh late 70s I guess um, called Journey to Samara you might know it but it's very good there was a man in the marketplace in Damascus and uh, just buying stuff and he looks up and he sees death death himself just like it's pictured on this card and he's stunned but also death looks very surprised and so the man runs to the local wise man you know who might be you and I and he says what does this mean and he said, well, death is probably surprised to see you because you have an appointment with him. So uh, what you have to do is uh, not make that appointment. You know, Death is coming behind you, and you weren't supposed to see him. So death sneaks up behind you right, and taps you on the shoulder, and that's what usually happens. You're not supposed to see him. So your time is near. Your time is near. You have to get the fastest horse you can and go to Samara, the next town over where death cannot find you, hide. So the man gets a horse, and he rides all night to said so It was a terrible journey. No one had ever made it in one night. He about killed the horse under him. And so the next day, about noon, he gets off that horse. He's half dead himself because he made that terrible ride. Gets off the horse, gives the horse to a guy, and the horse is about dead under him. He feels a tap on his shoulder. He turns around and there's death. And he said, how can you be here? How can you be here? I saw you in Damascus yesterday. The death said, that's why I was very surprised to see you there. He said, I had an appointment to meet you in Samara today at noon. And that's the, uh, it's a Sikh story. That's the story of uh, appointment in Samara. And the idea that you're not going to escape death. You know, when you have an appointment with death, you're going to find it. And we like to think we have free will. And when people ask me that, do do we have free will or predestination? My answer is yes. Yes, we do. And I want to leave you with that while we go to station identification, and I get a cold drink because, oh, my goodness, is it hot here. LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Condraman Ollie, Sundays 3 to 4.30, the Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6, Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays 4 to 5, and the Witch, the Priestess and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, Fridays 6 to 7. All-time specific. Add 3 Hours for Eastern. Sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California and online at luckymojo.com. Well, let's talk about death itself. The idea of death is very comforting. If you have a strong spirituality, you realize that death releases you from being in the flesh, and your spirit joins union with the universal spirit. How many people actually believe that? Uh, now, the uh, because people fear death, we, we seek religion. We seek a spirituality. Uh, the Christian religion teaches us that death will liberate our soul from the tainted flesh, and we may join God in seeing its praises and uh, uh, Said his throne forever. I have met very few, very few Christians who actually believe that. They say they do, but they're so afraid of dying. And I believe they're afraid of dying because their church has taught them that maybe they're not quite good enough. Maybe they're going to go to the other place, which is a terrible thing to do. A terrible thing for a holy man to do, a holy person to do to their congregation. Uh, it's a, it's an awful thing. Teach your congregation. That, yeah, here's this great place. Uh, uh, after you die, uh, you're not going to have much fun in this life. We're not going to let you have much fun in this life. You're going to be pretty miserable in this life. But when you die, there's this great place. Maybe you'll go, but maybe you want. Maybe you're not good enough because there's uh, only a certain number of people who will. But maybe you're not good enough. Maybe. But uh, and what a terrible thing to do! What a terrible thing to do! And. Uh, so the um, death is a necessary process to clear the stage, right? We had a friend, his name was Carl Heron. We called him Brother Shadow. And he, one one day he took me by the hand and he said, I know you're you're scared. Uh, I was in very bad health at the time. I'm much better now, by the way. I, I, I weighed about 350, and he said uh, – he said, "I know you're thinking about making changes in your life because uh, you're scared." And he said, "But don't be afraid to die." He said, "Be afraid of living when you don't feel good." He said, "I know you don't feel good." And he said, "But death's a natural thing." He said, Well, I look at it, you have your time on stage, and then when your time's over, you take a bow and make room for somebody else to come out and have their turn on stage." And that was a very good way. I, I love, I love that look. And when your time's done, you know, when you're when your time is finished, take your bow and get the hell off stage. Some people try to stay on too long. Now, when we die, our body decays and returns to nature, and sometimes acts as food for other uh, little creatures. And if you go to certain cultures, they have—they don't bury the dead; they put them above ground. For that to happen, they have uh, carnal grounds, and some people find that just horrible, and because the idea of our bodies being eaten we're so attached to it that we just think this is terrible or the bodies of our loved ones that we just think it's terrible. But I'll tell you all over the world, part of the training for uh, like Buddhist monks, for instance, is to go look at that. Um, um, You go look at it and you say, as I am, you know, as my body is, so, so is that, you know, just bones and flesh. Um, And uh, we, we, we uh, we do a thing in Buddhism. It's, it's called corpse meditation, and it's not for beginners because it can lead to uh, uh, trauma and depression. It's not for beginners. But it's called corpse meditation, where you look at your body as a sack of fluids, um, skeleton, and you see that you know rotting flesh is what it amounts to. The idea is that you don't get attached to it because as you grow older, your body deteriorates, and if you're attached to your body. As identity, this can be very distressing. So, the um, joining with nature as you die, uh, whether you're cremated and your ashes go to fertilize the earth, whether uh, you're buried in the ground and allowed to feed other creatures, it should be seen as a natural thing. Uh, it's a cycle of life, brings new life. And uh, the uh, this is why we have created this unnatural process of embalming corpses, painting them so that they look alike, saying they're asleep, uh, sealing them in airtight coffins, and burying them in a concrete vault under the ground. How unnatural! To me, that's terrifying. That's not going to happen to me. That's a terrifying prospect to me. It's my entire family. No, don't. No, don't put me in a box and bury me. No, I'm going to be. Uh, I'm going to be uh, cremated. My ashes scattered. If I can't be just thrown in a hole and buried and allowed to be absorbed by the earth or thrown in the water, uh, I'm going to be cremated in my ashes, uh, given back to the gentle earth. So we don't really know what happens um, to our body once the spirit leaves it. Uh, what, we, what we fear most is not the destruction of the body. really. We fear that our personality is going to disappear. We're very attached to who we are. Even though who we are changes second by second, we don't have a permanent personality. If you took the baby you are born and the old man you are at the end of your life and put all in successive states, there's no continuity of that. It's uh, Theseus' ship all over again. At what point in the uh, transformations that occur um, does the original, you know, if I'm John St. Germain when I'm born, and I'm John St. Germain when I die the the old, co- okay I'm 60 years old, am I the same John St. Germain as I was when I was born? No, that's silly. Uh, when I was 30? No, that's silly. But there's a continuity. Is there? Is there really? When all the parts have been changed again and again and again you see, this is the philosophy of identity. Uh, so um, but we have sing it with all the ego. And The ego sees itself as separate from the body or separate from the changes that occur in the body. The ego sees itself as separate from the changes that occur in life. The ego sees itself as separate from everything, but the ego doesn't exist. It's a construction, and it's a mask and a construction that has been created. And so we look at the death card, and if we can accept death, Only then can we live life to the fullest, free of this illusion of the ego. You see how important this card is? Very important. We see this inside. Okay, the ego's got to go. You know, ego, all these things that you think are important, these things you're holding on to, got to go, man. I-making, Buddha calls it. I-making, that's that's I as in myself. I-making, got to go. Whatever it is in your life right now, you're holding on to strongest? And what is it at this moment when that card comes up? What is it at this moment you're holding on to hardest? Is that the, the thing that's holding you back the most? There's a moment of transformation where you completely let that thing go. And you, you might not even have to let the thing itself go, but your utter dependence upon it. Your utter dependence on it. You might not not have to let the thing itself go, but your dependence on it, and that's going to be difficult. I mean, some things you can't let go. You know, if you're utterly dependent upon your appearance, it's like, oh my, you know, I got to look really good. Uh, It's it's utterly important to me. You know, uh, you're not going to let go of your body, right? But it might be attitudes about your body. It might be attitudes about you know, your belief about the world, your political views, your religious views. Uh, uh, the uh, attachments that Buddha described of the most insidious of them were attachment to rites and rituals. It wasn't just attachment to money, power, uh, sex, things like that. Those were fairly easy, but these are the most insidious attachments to get rid of were attachments to rites and rituals. This was the idea that by going through uh, uh, rituals, and uh, religious procedures, that that was the path to salvation, the belief, belief letting go of belief, basically. And uh, if, um, you know, what it, that precise moment you're doing a reading comes up in context, you know, what's holding, you know, it's like, oh, what's making me sad right now? What's making me miserable? Maybe it's something you're holding on to. You know, what exactly right now are you so attached to that if you let go of it, you afraid you'll die. It creates fear. You think, oh, man, if I let that go, it'll kill me. There's an attitude. There's something there. You think, oh, man, I'll die. I'll die if I don't have that. And maybe it's not that you think you'll die if you don't have it, but you think you'll die if you don't hold on to it. And You're afraid it'll go away. It'll leave me if I don't hold on to it. And this is, I really believe, what death is an initiation to set yourself free, and I'll tell you that a lot of times, like you're dealing with somebody who has to make a major change. Um, I was a vegetarian for 12 years. People would say, "Oh man, if I don't, I'd have to, I'd die if I didn't have my meat." No, you wouldn't. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. People live without meat all the time. Oh no, I'd die. I, I would die. I would just die. If No, you really wouldn't. You can live very healthily on a a vegetarian diet and also really enjoy your food. Um, And uh, I had a waitress in a a Mexican restaurant. I said, can you bring me a taco, a burrito, and uh, an empanada uh, or a uh, a chalupa? I said, but substitute instead of me, uh, substitute uh, beans and avocado. And I had a delicious meal, and uh, I was talking to her, and I mentioned I was a vegetarian so what do you eat a lot of salad bread and stuff? I said, you know what? I you just served me. <laughs> and uh, so you see, she immediately jumped to a, uh, uh, an assumption, even though she knows that she knew what I was eating. And, uh, um, and I said, you know, put some extra tomatoes and peppers. And I, oh, I had this delicious meal. So why do you eat? A lot of salads and bread. I said, you, you know what I just say? You, you served me. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, there are people that say, "Well, you know, uh, if I quit drinking beer, oh, I'd die without my beer. I would die." That's, you know, literally, people use the word death when they have to make a major change. Literally, they will say, "Oh, I'll die. I would die if I have to do that um, because of the effort necessary." And it's well, we've always done things that way. You ever hear that? I've always done things this way. This is how I've always done it because the idea of change is so onerous or so impossible to think this is the way we've always done things well, what would happen if we did do it that way oh uh, no we've always done it this way you can just see that the whole idea is terrifying that terror I think that defines that moment right so when we look at Pamela Coleman and Arthur Waite's image of this it, it's really uh, the psychological meaning of all this fear is uh, increased we've got four people who, who's uh, illustrating different approaches to change. The king is struck down, right? Which shows the rigidity of control. That's the ego saying, I'm not going to change. No, I'm in control. Struck down. So, so, if life itself will make you change. And sometimes if you resist it too much, your, your mind will snap. You'll go insanity. Uh, extreme change can, uh, if you resist it too much, your uh, your mind will snap. There can be panic attacks and all kinds of stuff. So, but the priest stands up and and uh, uh, pays homage to death. He's got his hands clasped and he says, "Yes, my lord." He accepts it, right? Now he can do so because he has the trappings of spirituality that protect him from death, right? Um, he has the, he has a code of belief that has prepared him to accept death. Then we have the maiden who is innocent of death, and I can tell you a story about that. Um, I don't quite have time, I don't think. Um, So she kneels, but she turns away. And then you have the child who's innocent of death, has no concept of death, who comes over with an offering of flowers and gives death a flower. The, uh, the story about the maiden basically it was Buddha. A woman had a baby and it was stillborn. And she used to tell people, you know, here's my baby. Can you fix him? I didn't know what was wrong with it. So we go see Buddha. And Buddha said, Oh, go, go door to door. And if you find a house and collect mustard seeds. And if you find a house where death has never visited, bring me those mustard seeds. And, and I'll make a medicine and fix your babies. So she went door to door. And everybody goes, Child, death has been at this house so many times. We set a plate for him at the dinner table. And so she could not find a single house where death had not visited, and then she realized, oh, death is universal, it's common, and she came to the Buddha and gave her baby to the Buddha and said, I understand, sir. And the Buddha you know, laid the baby in the carnal grounds, and she became one of his disciples. But you see, this is what it took for her to realize that death was okay. And I really think this maiden in this um, card uh, – I always think of that story uh, – All things lead to Buddha, basically. You you have, you know, like a billion. The the Buddhist Bible is nine feet long on your bookshelf. There's every story you can imagine in it. Um, So we have 13 seconds. Once again, you've wasted an hour of your life that you can never get back. Um, I'm John St. Germain. We'll see you next week, and I promise you we will.